Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wild Isle podcast. Today, I have with me Josh Broverman. Yo. <laughs> so, uh, Josh, how long have we known each other, do you think? I don't know. I've, I've, I, I know you've made coffee for me for a long time. I don't know how long, though. Yeah, it's one of those weird um, relationships where you've known someone in passing for a few years where you actually sit down and talk to them. I always thought of you as like a master barista, like someone who could like make coffee at a level that the other baristas couldn't. Like I would always, I would always, you remember I had a very specific drink. Yeah, the mudslide. The muds, the mudslide. It's it's a very specific drink and it's like never offered anywhere except for like it's offered as an alcoholic beverage at some places, but it's not the same thing. And no one could ever get the proportions of chocolate to Irish cream to espresso to coffee to ice correct. And so you would end up with this problem where I would order it, I would have to explain it, and then I would end up, they would like pour my drink and I'd look in the uh, in the blender and there'd still be half a drink in the blender. And I'd be like, it, you know, they're kind of ripping you off because you're like, hey, double shot of espresso, but you're definitely only getting one of half the drinks in the blender. So... You were able to get the volumes right every time and consistently get the flavor. Too much Irish cream's like uh, disgusting, and too much chocolate, and you don't really get the the enjoyment of the combination of the two flavors. So that's how I first recognized you as a human on this earth. <laughs> uh, so if you want a good coffee, come to Wheeling Coffee Shop on Washington Avenue. Uh, no, this really isn't an ad for them, uh, but I have a question uh, off of that. And what the hell is that? Right. What I mean, what? what I mean is, why is it that it was so difficult for you to get your drink made properly as a, as a wider cultural context? The reason why I ask is because I've gotten uh, comments like that from other yeah. people, from many other people. And it's bizarre to me because uh, the idea that one would not. Uh, would say refine one's technique like if they make an error one time that you know after two or three times you, you make adjustments you try to improve what, what the hell is going on man? well uh i mean there's probably quite a few things going on I mean, I mean first of all i think everybody's probably different there's probably some generalizations um some people some people don't care right because making coffee is not a passion of theirs and maybe they're not interested in doing things that aren't their passion. They don't, they don't pay particularly a lot from what I understand. We're not sitting in a, uh, you know, a 28 bedroom estate in the Hamptons right now, but that might be another thing. The lack of monetary motivation. Um, another good reason might be that I'm just, I, I was demanding a level of excellence that they weren't qualified to to live up to. And I don't know, I think you're a pretty uh, detail-oriented person. And maybe one might even call you obsessive. Um, and yeah, I mean, how many high school kids or college kids who are sitting there making coffee on their summer break actually give a shit? I wouldn't have given a shit. <laughs> I'd have been like... You you want a mudslide? Black coffee. Here you go. <laughs> Later, dickhead. Well, let's talk a little bit about giving a shit because um, I think that'll lead us into our main main topic. So, you know, when I'm not, you know, all that actual actually passionate about uh, coffee itself as much as I care that I'm doing my job well. Okay. Um, and 
the idea that I might do my job poorly suggests that there's something deficient about me as a person and being conscious of that self-deficiency would be would say much more torturous than just learning how to like fucking make a drink properly let's say right okay okay so what am i getting at here well what i wanted to talk to you today at least to start out about is addiction and how people fall into addictions what keeps them there and then how they get out and i know we've had previous conversations um off the record here that a lot of addiction is people not being able to face their negative emotions and my suspicion is that the reason why you you might keep getting shitty drinks is because someone or many people don't want to face up to the fact that they make shitty drinks (laughs) as small well you laugh right well it's easier i get what you're saying like it's easier to to just act like you don't care and then not put any effort so that you don't have to really you can always make the excuse that no i'm not i'm not a shitty drink maker uh it's just not that important to me but really you are a shitty drink maker but you shield yourself from having to like feel the burn of that very unfortunate (laughs) fact if you just say i i actually don't care and that's why i'm not good as opposed to i'm not good because i'm actually not good yeah and think of how you know psychologically damaging that is i know it sounds maybe hyperbolic but i've used to think this about myself Uh, i don't know if, if no one else on the all over the internet heard the story before um years and years ago i used to be very very depressed and when i would uh come into work uh early in the morning i would come in early and sometimes just like kind of squat there behind the counter ruminating for like 10 or 20 minutes about how shitty of a person i was because at the age of like I don't know, 23, I was working at a coffee shop and I Mm -hmm. felt like I should be further along in my life by then. Um, But yeah, so that if I felt, you know, say that severe, maybe that's a lot worse than other people feel. Um, I'm wondering how other people feel at confronting the fact that they might not possess, we might use the word competence or I could use the word power if I want to get all Nietzsche and we won't do that right away um they don't possess that thing that you would think you know a high schooler should be able to do this Mm -hmm. except like maybe you're a you know college undergraduate like you've gotten your undergraduate degree and still you're doing this and still you're bad at it yeah and how small that is so then that kind of begs the question right like how many other small things are people not able to handle the fact that they can't do or they're insufficient at well, I guess, you know, you had touched on that, like, why don't people acknowledge these things? Um, and I think that people just don't acknowledge it because they're afraid of accepting the consequences of what it would mean to acknowledge it. What would those consequences be? Well... Depending, I mean, I guess to keep it more general without getting into specifics, right? The consequences of not acknowledging one's own insufficiencies might be something like having to accept the sort of, um, having to accept like the incompleteness of oneself or maybe 
it, you could use a lot of ways to describe it. And it, I think it is like uh, the vulnerabilities of oneself. Like uh, I would, people don't want to think of themselves as an incompetent person. Right. And, and the funny thing is I've met and dealt with some extreme, well, I think we all met and dealt with extremely incompetent people. And if you've never met one, then that probably means you are one, right? <laughs> like if you don't feel like anybody's incompetent, then you're probably supremely incompetent. <laughs> but one thing I see across the table is that these people often are in complete denial about their own incompetency, <laughs> right? So like, like, I think like trying to get someone to see the light, right? Of like, why it's important to try to be the best at whatever you do, or to be the best you can be at whatever you do, is like asking them to like, acknowledge all of their insufficiencies. And what we do as people, right? Like when we have a, a thing, when, when we when we have a thing that's like bothersome to us, because we're not good at it. But and this is all like, you know, we're talking about this at the level of like, making coffee, but like, really, what we're talking about is like, like acknowledging your own demons and how much like, um, how many lies you've told yourself over the years to make it so you can wake up in the morning, right? And hyper incompetent people have told themselves an incredible amount of lies. Most of their psyche is just lies. Whereas a hyper competent person, maybe only like half their psyche is lies, right? So like, what what it means is to like, and what this is, we're talking about, we're talking about like an ego, right? The The concept of oneself being way out of whack from what one actually is, right? And this is when we get into like, so, okay, how do we, how do these people like confront this? Well, to confront this would be to have an, to suffer an ego death. And then essentially to be left with, with almost nothing. Cause you have to go to nothing. It's not like you go, well, I'm going to clean up all the lies and become this great thing. It's like a, like a, I don't know what the type of graph would be, but like starting in negative 50, you have to go all the way to zero, which zero is better than negative 50, but you got to get to zero and then you can start getting into the positives. And that's a painful, that's a painful journey. And most people are not very, um, most people are, are unable to face pain and, 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 and kind of are sort of addicted to their own pleasurable feelings, especially in America. You know, it's like, this is the, this is the, probably the greatest example of an addicted society. And what they're addicted to is escaping pain. Yeah. I mean, I see that every single day. So uh, to keep it in the example of coffee, um, you know, I serve terrible sugary nightmares. Yes. On do. People that Delicious. are just fueling uh, the development of type two diabetes. Yes. And you know, what's funny is that today <laughs> someone had, they said something and I had just, because I've been exhausted and have been eating enough. So my inhibitions are all way lower than they should be. So I just don't give a fuck. Um, I just started pointing out how terrible of sugar addicts, like these two like customers yeah, were in yeah, front no. of me. And then when one of them even tried to do that thing where they say, Oh, it's kind of all of us. Ha 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 camaraderie thing. I was it's like, not. And I told them that too. It's you <laughs> and your horde of sugar crack fiends. <laughs> it's, 
No, you know what? People don't even know. And it's great that you pointed out because like I, I was underselling it. We're just talking about coffee. We're not. We're talking about, you know, what, 60, 70 grams of sugar in some of those drinks. And sugar is probably the most, I don't know. People say sugar is the most addictive substance, but those people have never like smoked crack. So I don't know if that's true or not. But what I do know is that sugar for me uh, has been harder to kick than any other drug or alcohol or chemical substance or intimate relationship or any of the other things a person can be addicted to. Uh, and then you have the caffeine component and then you, uh, you know, you compare that with also like the carbohydrate component, because there's always a nice selection of those at the coffee shop. And then people often pair that even further with cigarettes and nicotine. But like, this is kind of actually touching on a, a larger point, which is that, you know, like the addicted society concept, it's like, people wake up. And this is like a normal person, right? Like, I'm not even talking about what you would consider a drug addict, right? Or like an alcoholic, right? I'm just talking about, hey, this is Bob. Right. This is Bob who works, you know, in your office. Right. Like Bob wakes up and takes his Zoloft first thing in the morning because Bob fucking hates his life. Right. Now, listen, maybe Bob actually has some sort of chemical imbalance that does exist. But what I'm saying is also this seven percent of people in this country suffer from some sort of uh, like chemical issue with depression, some sort of clinical depression that derives from a chemical imbalance, yet like 20% of people are on some sort of prescription medication, all right? So that means there's a big, big portion of adults who just have really fucked up lives. And rather than taking the proper steps to resolve it, they're going to take their Zoloft, right? And here's the thing. Don't ever try to take their goddamn Zoloft off them, okay? Because look, like a dog in his bone, right? Like, don't do it. Um, and don't, you know, they don't want to hear it. And maybe I, and I don't know, I'm very conflicted about like how to fault people for these things because the world is scary, but it's like Bob's going to have his Zoloft and then he's going to get up and he's going to eat a couple of fucking pastries and then he's going to go to the, you know, have a cigarette, you know? Then he's going to go to the coffee shop and get his 700 calorie sugar induced triple triple shot espresso beverage, um, have another cigarette. And like, then he's going to go and he's going to eat, we'll say a cheeseburger or whatever, you know, and like that's going to be on repeat for like 30 years until and now Bob's not going to kill himself. Not in the direct <laughs> manner. He's going to do it real slowly with all this. And that is sort of the state of society. And that's not an addict. That's not a drug addict. If you ask society, if you ask society, it's just a normal, normal person. Um, so that's pretty concerning to me. And then, uh, yeah. So yeah. So I, I mean, I would, I, would, I do actually think of them as addicts. Um, well, they are addicts. Yeah. And the reason why I would say that, you know, because the you know, definition of addiction has to be something that is, um, getting in the way of you living your life, right? They can't, uh, is, am I correct on that? Like it has to be, I mean, just, there's a lot of different definitions. Um, I heard one once that I, I liked and it was a, uh, sick pathological relationship with a person, place, or thing that is having detrimental consequences on your life. And I thought that was really good because it, it, it allows people to have vices without 
making them addicts, but it also establishes sort of like the boundary of what goes from fun or recreational to addiction somewhat well in a, in a mouthful, right. Without like, you know, writing paragraphs, cause we could do that. So I, I tend to go with that. And then the, also the other thing is they often say in 12 step programs, right. That like, it's the individual's decision. Like they have to decide that they're an addict. You know, it's not like my place, which is kind of bullshit to be honest, because you know what, like, I'm pretty, I, and there's a lot of medical professionals and people who work in the psycho, the psych field, um, and other people who have been through 12 step programs that like, were pretty, pretty good at deciding whether you have a substance use disorder. I'm putting my fingers in quotes, quotations right now. That's a funny term we can talk about also. Yeah, no, so I get what you're saying, because <clears throat> from an objective point of view like okay yeah you could say this person is addicted with any reasonable definition uh do you think with the 12-step program because i know those are uh kind of like spiritual transformations so the idea is that you like you have to remake yourself and uh i'll start using some union terms you have to say confront yourself dissolve yourself into your shadow and then reconstitute yourself out of like the uh let's say the parts that you find there that you had uh, let's say hidden away from yourself, the parts that that survived the liquidation, that survived the 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 forest fire, right? Yeah. So. Um. Yeah. I mean, that's the idea. I think. I I don't think most people who are in twelve step programs actually achieve that. Um, I think. Well, I actually I have a an interesting idea as to why they might not. Um, I have a couple interesting ideas. Uh, throw them at you one at a time. So you mentioned before having a, the difference between, um, let's say, recreation and you know pathologically addictive behavior, and immediately the thought in my mind started uh, screaming the uh, the herd versus the free spirit, mm -hmm. or the herd versus the ubermensch. If we sure. would say it that way, where um, for you, for you viewer listeners rather not viewers, the idea is that. Some for some people, something is going to be poisonous that for others it might actually be uh, a means to facilitate, uh, let's say, a life affirming attitude. And all that means is that you look at the world and you say, yes, the world is good. My life is good. I deserve to exist. I love existing in this life as, you know, for all that it is. OK. Um, and to wrap that, you know, back in you know, a little bit personally. So I realized the other day that for me caffeine is actually a kind of form of uh i could almost call it an antidepressant mm -hmm. i don't suffer withdrawal symptoms like i see normal people where they're like in line to get their coffee and they're all oh, yeah it's, kind pretty, of like, it's pretty insane they're like <laughs> zombies uh but for me what caffeine does is it um opens my mind to do the very things that make life meaningful so like okay. if i drink a cup of coffee um it's much 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 easier to open my mind creatively and write and then writing then um let's say once i as i advance in that enterprise makes me feel like yes i'm advancing in my life i am on if i want to switch over to Taoism real quick i'm on the road the way this is what path. i should yeah, yeah. The path. i'm walking this the path and this is what i should be doing and so for me uh, I might, you know, uh, with my own self-interest, make the argument that, okay, I have a responsible use of caffeine. I'm not 
let's say using caffeine just to function. I'm using caffeine so that I can function at a higher level that actually facilitates some type of greater meaning. So you might say the same thing for like, you know, sugar in an athlete. So, so let me just go ahead and tell you that a, uh, a heroin addict uses the exact same rationale. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, we, no, here's the thing, right? It's, it's, it's not about the rationale, right? Because we all have a rationale for all the things we do. It's about how our life is affected by it, right? Um, if I am drinking, like I personally these days, I drink a, a cup of coffee in the morning. Sometimes if I see you working, I'll stop by and have a coffee in the afternoon. It's not because I need the coffee. It's because I want to hang out with you, right? Uh, when you're not there, I really don't go there. Um, now, there have been times in my life where I drank two pots of coffee, two pots, right, in the day. Um, and I'd be all like jittery and shaky and feeling crazy. And so the reality is it's like coffee isn't inherently a bad thing, right? Like coffee isn't bad. Um, drinking coffee also isn't bad. But if the drinking of the coffee, look, if I start like pimping myself out for shots of, for, for an Americana, right? If I'm sucking dick for lattes, okay, maybe there's a problem. But here's the thing. Here's where addiction gets so complicated is like, goes back to what I said that for any person to recover, they have to acknowledge that they suffer from addiction, right? They have to acknowledge that. And they might be so, it might be so challenging to accept what they are and what they've become going to that animalistic level, which so many addicts do, that they might not be willing to accept that something has ter gone terribly wrong in their life and that what they're doing is not life affirming, but rather life destroying. And so what they'll do is they'll rationalize that the same rationalization you just gave, that this is actually good. Sucking dick for coffee or heroin, right, is fine. So well, I'm just going to keep doing it. And anybody else who wants to stop me is just trying to like fucking like they just like want to kill my buzz nerves. And like, that's it. So what do you say is like the real difference there? Is it just the impact on their life? Like the objective? It's measurements. Probably or? the impact that, you know, going back to that definition that has, you know, any, any person, place or thing, a sick pathological relationship with any person, place or thing that has like a detrimental effect on one's life. It's like, okay, well, I've got a relationship with this thing. It's, it's a person placer thing, right? I have that. Uh, is it having a detrimental effect on my life? In your case, it, it doesn't sound to me, right? I can do the same. I can apply the same logic to literally anything, right? Cause when we have addiction set up as when we take it out of the context of a substance or a thing, and we say person, place, or thing, we basically have access to everything now. Now addiction can apply to everything. But what what gets interesting about addiction, and I don't want to get off too off topic, but I don't know, maybe we're flowing. It's like uh, you know, there's there's a there's a very strong theory that I do believe in. It's the in the concept of an addict is an addict is an addict is an addict. In other words, no matter how much recovery you get, no matter how much abstinence you have. If you suffer from addiction, you will always have that hard wiring in your brain. Um, it may not be as prominent as you continue to practice abstinence and to practice the various aspects of recovery that allow it to work, but it's always there and you can always go back to it. And that's why you see so many people 
that are like, you know, maybe they had a hardcore drug addiction and then they quit the drugs and then you'll see them just like drinking five monsters a day and smoking cigarettes all day and eating really crazy shitty food, you know? And it's like passing one and they have these dysfunctional relationships, whatever, you know, it's like they're just passing it from one addiction to the other because the underlying problem is they can't handle say their own inadequacy or inability to handle their own lives or or at very least they can't handle their own discomfort they might not even know what their own inadequacies are but they're uncomfortable right and they've also built up these habitual um like neuropathways in their brain right so like oh i feel uncomfortable i when i quit smoking cigarettes right this was the one thing i noticed when I quit smoking cigarettes, I would have these urges to smoke cigarettes and they would always come at some uncomfortable point in my day. Well, it turns out I'm uncomfortable a lot right? <laughs> because I wanted one about every five minutes, right? So like social interaction, uncomfortable. Silence in the social interaction, uncomfortable, right? So I'm just all day, you know? Um, so yeah, you know, it's like, how do I deal with my own discomfort? You know, you, you can do heroin or you can go for a jog. But if you jog so much that your legs break, then maybe jogging is not so good for you. And maybe we need to find a better way, better thing for you to do, or maybe something that you can moderate better. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I might be encountering that right now. I've been uh, running running (laughs) a little too much, uh, dragging along the past few days. So a question that popped in my mind um, as you're talking about that is, how one let's say no not how one when we say like okay someone is an an addict an addict is an addict and is an addict i'm perfectly willing to accept that because we know just neurophysiologically that when we build these habits they're not just ethereal manifestations you know in some um a physical void they're neurological patterns in our brain right they're reinforced yeah it's deep and people, uh-huh. that's a big problem with society too, that they don't, most people just don't get the concept of that, that like what you do creates who you are. And if you do heroin for 20 years, then you're yeah. probably going to have issues with like impulse control and like dealing with like, uh, dealing with discomfort and, you know. Yeah. I so call this so the embodied forth. will because the will, the soul, if you will, is actually it's it's not in the body it is the body yeah we are we are no our separation body. Yeah, yeah zero no like, like anti-dualism like, yeah right um and so those things are definitely true and that can apply to just about anything so we can build habits um my thought was on the attitude toward how how one builds habits and then also the one's attitude how one changes one's habits so that's kind of a a habit building a habit to adjust one's habits sure um my my thought process is okay so um way back when i was in middle school um i'd watched way too much anime as a kid but there was a line from one where basically one of the characters gets this big thing of ramen and it's really cheap and it's like terrible and uh switches it off to the other person who was like oh no you got to stick with the good name brand yeah um and when she gives him this big bowl of ramen takes his because his are better okay she's uh says to him like you know sometimes eating uh ramen that tastes really bad 
can be kind of fun too. Yeah. And I took that and I switched it. And, uh, you know, if you know me and you're listening to this podcast, I probably said to you at some point, you know, sometimes eating food that tastes bad can be kind of fun too. Yeah. And then they give me some dirty look, like I just said, yeah. some sacrilege. It's totally true. Nonsense. Really. Yeah, it's exactly true. And, uh, you know, back in, I think it was like sixth grade, um, I had internalized that line where, oh, wait a minute, it can be good to voluntarily uh, expose oneself to negative stimuli. Yeah. And I, th- I think it was around that time I just started eating food that I didn't like. And they're, they're all like healthy <laughs> foods. Psychopath. <laughs> well, maybe, sure. I, yeah. maybe I am, but. Uh, just over here eating raw mushrooms. <laughs> like, what's going on? Not raw mushrooms, but I would eat like, you know, just and asparagus or spinach, whatever I had in the house that like yeah, I didn't like. Oh, mushrooms sounds way worse than this. I don't, I don't <laughs> yeah. really like mushrooms that much, but yeah, okay, go on. Uh, but the the point is that that developed an attitude. So when I you know came to be uh, to train in a very traditional form of Chinese martial arts, like that attitude was paramount. Like, yes, do things that suck. Like stand in a like a horse stance or we call it a mouth stance, Chinese horse, until the teacher comes back. And he leaves. Okay. And you're sitting there shaking and shaking and shaking. (laughs) And then eventually it's like, okay, go home. And then, uh, I don't know, punch this pebble-filled sand every day at like whatever o'clock in the morning. I think I was doing it at like five in the morning. Um, So until like, you know, the skin is now gone from your knuckles and like, just put alcohol (laughs) on it. Make sure you keep it. Yeah, really fucking. Right. But like the the attitude. With the alcohol. Uh, but the the point was that there is um, a development of an attitude that I experienced that um, I've noticed, and I'm sure you've also developed uh, at this point in your life uh, an attitude very similar, where you do not see the negative emotions anymore as wholly negative, but they're like challenges. They're things yeah. that you like. You take a deep breath to prepare for, and then you like, jump into the cold water. Sure. Um... Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, certainly, you know, I think we build a lot of habits from our, what we learn from our parents growing up. Um, and uh, what we learn from the people immediately close to us. Um, and that's to say that we're a little bit helpless in what our habits are going to be. That's kind of one reason why whenever people like... uh are too hard on addicts and their choices are like, Oh, it's just a choice. And it's like, ah, I don't know, man, because it's like, if you, you know, if you watched your dad drink every single day and beat your mom every single day for like 15 years straight, like, is it just a choice still? And this is, I don't want to get too philosophical about choice. Right. But it's like pertaining to habits. Right. It's like, if you're fed, like, if you're fed the bad ramen every day, you know, is it that big of a surprise that it seems like a little bit more than a choice when you eat the bad ramen as an adult, right? Um, so, yeah, without getting in the weeds with that, we can develop pretty severe bad habits, but it's also um, something that can like get exponentially worse. It's going to have like a domino effect where it might start off as first of all the bad habit is usually just a a, a, a it's a like a microcosm of the, the desperate need to escape discomfort right so you know as the discomfort never goes away that's probably if there is any like lesson to be learned 
is that the discomfort, there's no escape. You can't get away. I mean, you can temporarily like deceive yourself into thinking you escaped, but you can't actually escape. So um, for me and for a lot of people, I think, you know, you do, I just got to a place where I, I, I had my back kind of against a wall where I didn't have anywhere to run to. Um, and then also consciously kind of knowing like, fuck, you know, like this isn't working, you know, drugs, alcohol, women, sex, food, cigarettes, narcissistic belief systems. Uh, they're not working and, uh, I got to try something new. And this kind of goes back to what I said about, um, sort of like facing one's own demons and like facing the lies you tell yourself, you know, you, you, when you're talking about like these habits, the first thing you have to do is accept that you're, you're, you're weak and people don't like accepting that. It's a means something to be, I think for like six months, I literally was just like, Jordan Peterson talks about the number 10 lobster, the lobster that's been beaten in all the fights. And it just sits there slumped over like sad and like doesn't have the, the serotonin response to like stretch out its claws. I'm pretty sure I was a number 10 lobster for like at least six months, bro. Like I could not, I just couldn't do any, I couldn't work. I couldn't think I just had to kind of sit there and be, I wrote a lot and I read a lot and I would almost just like write down like what's what it really started for me was like, I would just write down what did I like, or just write to myself and be like, you are, you are stronger than you think. Like you are smarter than, than you think you are more capable than you think. Like, like you're going to be like, I would write what I wanted to be. And it weren't big things. Like you're going to own a company or you're going to have a, you know, a beautiful girlfriend. It was just literally like enough to get me off the couch. Like for God's sakes, like I can get enough motivation. And it's really me trying to motivate myself because I'm not able to produce any sort of self, uh, like like feel good emotion i have no serotonin basically or i have the minimal amount not to off myself right i'm just like barely getting by at this point but i'm sitting there and i'm also analyzing like what went wrong in my life to get me here right i'm i'm salt snit skinning in my own personal little gulag which was my apartment right i'm just sitting there trying to figure out how the fuck things got here um and what much like salt snitskin i i i realized that like I played a huge role in, in my demise, right? And we all do. Um, getting people to understand that is like fucking getting them across a chasm. I mean, massive, massive, massive jump from like not being aware to being aware. Um, and then it just started with, you know, building the pieces, right? And it was like, okay, well, I've stopped drinking and doing drugs. And I've also stopped hanging out with everyone I know who drinks and does drugs. I've also stopped doing all the things I did while drinking and doing drugs. And now I have nothing to do and no one to hang out with. (laughs) He's depressed in my apartment. My ex-girlfriend who I was heartbroken over is out banging some other guy. Um, and, and I'm just broken. Right. But I, but I'm, I'm not at negative 50 anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm approaching zero, right. I'm heading towards having nothing, but nothing's better than something that's not real. Right. It's better to be alone than think you're living with an imaginary friend. Yeah. Uh, what is it? A uh, philosopher you might be familiar with him, Stefan Molyneux. Uh, but I used to listen to him years ago. And he said, it's, you know, you could be not moving or you could be sprinting in the wrong direction. Yeah. <laughs> and when you're sprinting in the wrong direction, you have to turn the fuck around That's and then make it all. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. Plus, you've exerted a ton of energy just to get there. So you're, you're busted, right? Like, yeah. Uh, so that was like the thing. Um, 
And it is you feel the thing about having a bunch of like pathological belief systems is that you think you feel comfortable because you think you're protected by your belief system, right? So mm -hmm. if I tell myself I'm the greatest person in the world, even though I'm a terrible human being, but I'm feeling okay because I actually believe I'm the greatest person in the world. That's that negative 50, right? That's the prominent ego that's totally out of whack with reality, but it's fine. It's like the nature of self-deception is that you don't know that you're being self-deceived. So you actually think that you're the greatest thing since, you know, sliced bread. Then you get to zero and it feels pretty shitty man, because you're no longer protected by the delusion. Um, and that's, I think, what people are really afraid of is like getting to zero. And then from there, it's really just a matter of like, okay, I saw a video of David Goggins, like, like six days after like deciding to get sober and was like, he was like, you gotta get out there, get after it. You're living your life. Dog, you poopy pants. And I just think like, it just resonated with me. It was like, okay, this guy seems to know what to do. Cause I didn't know what to do. I got, I got, I can't hang out with anyone. I can't do anything and I can't go anywhere. So I have no idea what to do. I said, like, just start running. And so like, I just fucking started running and then I started lifting weights. And then I got like, I got, I was obsessively lifting weights and obsessively running. So I got so jacked and then I had to make it like, what do I do with all these muscles? And then somebody invited me to go train at a gym. And then I started training. And as soon as I started training, I was like, okay, like I figured it out. Like I figured something out. Didn't know what it was, but like I figured something out. And then it was just a matter of like that just kind of built and built and built. And it built into my, my, my business. It built into my life. Uh, it, it built into my relationships. Um, it built into like my philosophy and who I am. And then also going through 12 step program throughout all this, where I'm learning about like what, what is healthy behavior? What isn't healthy behavior? What values and principles do I want to live by? Observing people that had, had done this and had something I wanted, I could see that they were living a, like a peaceful life. Um, and then also seeing what it was to go back. That was like Peterson says, like, you got to have something behind you chasing you. And you also have to have something to run towards. So you're like double motivated. And I, I had a better life in front of me and I, I knew what I was going back to. And it was like, I, I created enough value in front of me that going back would seem crazy. And at this point, it's like, you know, after a couple of years of not drinking or doing drugs, you're pretty much over it. Unless you like haven't really like done what we just discussed, right? This like self, this journey of self-actualization. But after a couple of years, you're kind of just fucking over it. And then, you know, now I'm on this weird path where I'm like 33 years old and I'm like going to go fight some of the best fighters in like West Virginia, Kentucky and Virginia next week. And I intend to win too. Like, I'm not just going like, I'm going to, I'm proud of myself. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to fuck people up. Um, so yeah, you know, it is going back to the question. Cause I kind of got on a, I explained a lot about my personal, how I, how I personally like uh, heard that question, but like one of the big things is like, we have to get away from the concept of pleasure being good. Um, and the truth is when you're, and I like the scale we're using of like negative 50 to zero and then beyond, right? It's like at negative 50, doing drugs, eating cheesecake, taking Zoloft, banging your crazy ex-girlfriend who's like 
certifiable, and like will probably get you thrown in jail or kill you, right? These all feel very normal. And they're pleasurable. There's pleasure attached to these things because they're, you're escaping the discomfort, right? Getting to zero, there is zero pleasure. The only pleasure you have at zero is knowing that you might get to one, right? But still, even at zero, going back into the fray. And there's something Jung, Jung said where he said, like, um, you can't go back to your father's house, right? Like, you get far enough in this process where you know that there actually is no going back. People try to go back and then they find, like... Uh, they find that like their father's house is empty, filled with cobwebs. And it's like, I think for Pinocchio or something like that. And it's like, that's really what it is. Like you get far enough down the line and there's nowhere to go back to. Your only way out is forward, right? There's like the cave has collapsed behind you. Um, I guess you theoretically can't go back, but it won't have what you're looking for. Well, yeah, you can't. Uh, the reason why you can't is that the, um, the world changes yeah. and it changes regardless of whether you're moving or not. Yeah. And so you're either moving, um, you know, I've been writing a lot on Taoism and, uh, it's funny. Taoism, it presents itself as this kind of like, oh, yeah, just live at peace with nature. And then it's like, but nature is also everything terrible. Yeah. So, oh. yeah, you got to just sit and bear that. Everything too. good and everything terrible. Yeah. Um, and they describe it in the same way. Like, you know, you've, the universe is sort of like a running river and you could flow with the river and that river will change. And, you know, you come back. Yeah, a hundred years and it's not the same yeah. river though it is the same river or you come back the next day it's not the same river that water isn't the yeah, same the water that was there whatever right it might kill yeah. you or it might take you somewhere somewhere neat yeah um and there's there's tons of stuff that you said there that actually touches on a lot of uh, really deep philosophy so um i'll try and go in order you mentioned you started out writing good luck going in order by the way oh uh, yeah good but yeah yeah, yeah started off writing right right so um that i actually had a similar experience and i'm curious when you were writing um if it went anything like this where sometimes you'd go to write and then you just start like for me i know i started bad mouthing myself because that was like the impulse like beat myself down but then i could only do that for a few lines before um and many artists will say that they have this experience when they're producing art or doing anything creative. Musicians will say the same thing. Like all of a sudden there was like a voice. It's not my voice. Obviously it's me, but yeah. it's like some other part of me that starts talking back. And it's like not, it's not like a contrived, I think this through and then I write it down. It's like I'm spontaneously writing out a response to me mm -hmm. that is not the same ego that is trying to beat itself down. Yeah. And it would basically tell me to stop being such a bitch <laughs> <laughs> and to like get up and like, I'm tired of this bullshit. Um, you know, most of my writing early on was more akin to me writing out my traumas of the past and trying to gain an understanding of them. And the other part of it was me coaching myself. I would, have impulses to, you know, when you're coming out of hardcore addiction, you have serious, serious impulses. That's why everybody fails. That's why you get a guy in rehab for three months. He hasn't had cocaine in three months. You let him out one day, boom, he's back on cocaine. The impulses are just, you know, terribly strong. The neuropathways are very prominent still in your brain. It takes a long time for that stuff to calm down. So I would just sit there and write, like, I will not get high. I will not get drunk. I will not go back to my ex-girlfriend in so many words, in so many ways, right? And then I would rationalize. This is why we're not going to get high. This is why we're not going to get drunk. This is why we're not going back to our ex-girlfriend, right? And I would just literally do that. And I think I did that for like six months. Like I literally would just get up. And then I would also write about like, 
that did morph and develop, I would always try to be like gentle with myself. Like, I, I don't know. I guess it was different than you in that I was always trying to like, I was beat up enough. I didn't need to beat myself up anymore. I tried to, dude, I was so beat, dude, I was so beat up. Bro, these women had beat me down. I had beat myself down. My life was just a mess, man. And I just had nothing. <laughs> there was, I had no more nasty. I did not want to bring any more like negativity into it. Right. So like, I would say things to myself like, Hey man, you're a good dude. And I know, you know, you're mixed up and you're twisted up, but like, you really are a good person at heart and I love you. And like, yeah. And like, yeah, you're, you're safe and you don't have to do this or, you know, and I would just try to like, I would just try to get through. Right. Cause it was like a saying as like, you know, just one, one day at a time. Right. But like, in this time of my life, it was like one hour or one minute at a time. Right. And like, I had, I had a lot of different things. Writing was, was, was a big thing. I have all these crazy notebooks, um, where I've like detailed like my early recovery and like the shit I would, I, I, I had dealt with in life and, and at that point in my life. And a lot of it was just like reminding myself why I'm doing what I'm doing, trying to understand why I did what I did and then creating a, sort of a view of the future that was positive and then being nice to myself because I'd like a house beat up. It sounds like for you, you needed to build, um, build a structure. Self-confidence. <laughs> well, yeah, the confidence, but you needed a firm foundation. Yeah, yeah. 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 And that's very different for me because I had, um, had kind of a reversed experience where on the face of things, I should have been thinking, felt like I was doing great. Right. Like I had finished university. Um, I did have a job. Uh, I did have an upward trajectory. I did have a personal project that I was working on. Um, and it was an internal problem rather than like an external problem. Yeah. So I can see why we would have come with that in opposite ways. But one thing that is similar is what came after. Um, and it, it harkens back to that concept I mentioned earlier, uh, embodied will. The next thing was improve yourself physically. Yeah. And I am a very firm believer that really for self-transformation, one of the first things almost everyone should do, especially if you're capable, is to make yourself a healthier animal. Yeah. Right. It, um, Nietzsche uh, talks about this at length, especially in his later his works get and the crazier he gets. Yeah. Um, he identifies more and more. So look, most of this you know, depression and just depravity is people being sick. Yes. Um, and if you've watched Jordan Peterson for any length of time, I have. Yeah. Exceedingly yeah, long but, length of time. <laughs> you'll, you'll notice amongst, particularly amongst his family, a lot of their depression and everything did have to just do with illness. And they had to, you know, they had specific, uh, they have specific dietary habits that work for them. But the point in general is like the very first thing you should do after uh some amount of self-reflection is like fix the physical things with yourself fix your diet fix your um, exercise and activity routine sure. um nisha talks a lot about fixing your environment like get yeah. yourself out of places yeah. that make you feel like you just want to curl up like people places and things yeah um and i i i really really i don't know i wanted to just point that out for anyone listening that like there's not really an excuse not to get out and exercise to the degree that you can to eat well to the degree that you can because otherwise what you're doing is sabotaging yourself i think the degree that you can is good a good term to have on there um i always try to speak from experience right um 
and I, I don't have the worst story. I've heard stories that are, that are, that I, I, I didn't realize how bad it could get for a person. My story is not the worst story, but I also like to try not to compare stories too much. Um, for me, like I said, I didn't have anything to do. And as soon as I learned that exercise was like a thing, you, I mean, I knew you could obviously exercise, but like conceptually as something I could just go become an exercise, I was just going to become a fitness person, right? Like I didn't plan that. It was just like, okay, well, I, I feel like I'm dying. So let's go run and lift weights. Right. And then it became actually looking back and I probably shouldn't say this on the mic, but like, who gives a shit at this point in my life? Uh, I actually think that one of the main reasons I started exercising was just to make my ex-girlfriend jealous at the time. I just thought like, and I know I'm not the first person ever to do this, right? Like this is a, this is a, this is a logical like outcome for, for many people after, after breakups, right? I was just like, you know what? Fuck this bitch. I am going to go and shred myself apart. I'm going to crucify, crucify myself in the gym and she's going to, she's going to be jealous of what I am. And that now, like with many motivations and things that changed over, you know, pretty fair, fairly quickly, actually. Once I got into combat sports, it was like, okay, I'm actually exercising because I like fighting other men a lot. But do what you can where you can, right? Do what you can where you can. Whereas like, you know, food, for example, quitting cigarettes, like I was on a diet for like a couple months I got shredded and then I like gave a fucking diet up because you know what one thing I see with guys I've sponsored right I go like okay this guy's this guy is like okay and this is not a real guy it's a hypothetical but like this guy's five days off of a 20-year methamphetamine binge right and you're like yeah recovery and he's like I'm gonna quit cigarettes I'm gonna eat right I'm gonna start exercising and you're like just smoke the cigarettes <laughs> Just smoke the cigarette. Have the have the fucking donut. You know, let's just not smoke meth today. How about that? Or like, let's not inject meth. It was like a twenty year intravenous methamphetamine. I didn't even know you could inject meth until I got in with a twelve step program and met some other people. But like, I didn't know that you can do that. Yeah, you can do that. And so, you know, I always I was taught that like the best place to start is to like get away from the substances, right? get away from the alcohol, get away from the drugs. Every day that you can go without taking a substance, a mood or mind altering substance, that's like a serious thing. Not like, I mean, people are like, well, caffeine's mood and mind. Oh, shut the fuck up. You've only got three days clean. Just stop smoking meth for today. All right. Like I hear that too. They're like, there's like some rationalization. I'm like, well, well we're just going to keep drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes. And I'm like, yeah, just do it. But you know, you start where you can. And you try not to overload yourself because this is like, kind of like you said, I had to build a foundation. I had to build a strong base. That's another concept within 12-step programs, right? It's like, you need to build a strong base so that we can build high peaks. You know, if you have a shallow, if you have a crappy, like, uh, base to your structure, crappy foundation, then it's going to fall apart somewhere down the line. Um, relapse, right? So it's like, we need to be strong in our foundation and, uh, Starting where you can is, you know, all you can do. David Goggins says, just put some shoes on and start running. Like people are like, what kind of shoes do do I stretch? What about recovery? It's like, no, no, no. Just go run. You can do it. Yeah, there's a similar thing that happens with um, 
speaking about hesitation, uh, just for a second with writers, where I tell them, like, look, I just want you to write something bad. Sure. That's what I tell them. Like, your goal is to write something bad every day. Yeah. Because I don't want this fucking excuse of, like, I don't feel inspired. It's like, well. Or that you're not going to write something good. It's like, yeah, well, you know, how the fuck else are you going to learn to do something? Yeah. But um, we don't have a ton of time left. I did want to ask a question about the 12-step program in particular that popped into my mind. Yeah. Um, so I know you, both you and I are uh, fairly, at least I assume so, fairly atheistic individuals. I don't know what the fuck I am at this point. <laughs> <laughs> no, fair enough with that, because it, depending on who you ask, there's a lot of people who think I'm very religious. Yeah. Um, and if you, it's if so I, hard at this point to figure out what the hell's going on. I don't know. <laughs> yes, that is that is absolutely true. So, like, if you listen to my uh, my first podcast with uh, my friend Leon Lane, he comes from an entirely assumptive presumption that like i'm kind of like the new atheist type like the richard dawkins or uh, sam harris okay and i very much come out of that of my youth um and i still have the same beliefs but i've become much more nuanced pretty good with jordan peterson like jordan peterson super edgy yeah you know, yeah <laughs> yeah well, peterson helps a lot with yeah he threw he, he he has opened my appreciation for let's say religion and the function that religion has had and still has yeah and i kind of want to ask about that um you know, with the 12-step programs, they are famous or perhaps infamous, depending on who you're asking, for requiring the belief in the higher power. Sure. Um, I just wanted to get your take on that. What do you, what yeah, do you let's think get, about Oh, dude, I, 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 this is actually a great question. I get asked all the time by some of my friends. I'm not as active in the programs anymore, but I have friends who are very active, and they, they ask me to come speak sometimes. Um, and this is a topic they want me to touch on a lot, right? So... The first thing I say to people is like, when term, now it also matters what 12 step program you're talking about. Like, if you're talking about AA, then like, I'm not really the guy to ask because I'm, I've never really spent that much time in AA. Um, it, both programs can be sort of used interchangeably. They're, they're based off of each other, but you get sort of a different vibe. I guess drug addicts were just my, my people. You know, I resonated with them, whereas AA was a little uptight. You know, you got a lot of like, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm probably, I'm a conservative, but like the way I would describe AA is like there was a lot of MAGA hats and like, I, I think I, I don't even want to get into my political, but I, I'm not even like, I'm not anti-Trump either. Right. But like, I definitely felt like maybe some of the ideas weren't like, maybe weren't, it wasn't a very open environment. I felt like it was very like structured and maybe that's what people needed there everybody's different in that right so different recovery for different people right um they also separate alcohol from from drugs which na does not do that because the two are not you know con like fundamentally they're both you know chemical substances that alter your mood and your mindset one's just acceptance to be sold at the store in a can which by the way if that's not the craziest shit when you start thinking like who thought this was a good idea to legalize alcohol um so basically, you know, it's different based off where you go. Um, I think A is a little bit more on the religious side. I'm not sure, though. It'd be better to get somebody who knows. But for me, um, I know that in NA, it's usually, it is, it is said that like a higher power is something loving, caring, and greater than yourself, right? <clears throat> so when we talk about a higher power, this microphone can't be a higher power unless I'm very delusional. In which case, the microphone could be a higher power, and I have much more serious problems, right? Um, 
a sponsor could be a higher power. A group of individuals could be a higher power. A concept could be a higher power. A religion or a religious deity could be a higher power. So the concept of a higher power is exactly what it is. It's just something stronger than you, which for, you know, a narcissistic egomaniac like most drug addicts are, right? It's a tough one to get our heads around, especially early on. You know, it's like the second and third steps are the steps that really get us thinking about that. Um, so, you know, first things first, right? It's like, if you're looking for a fucking excuse to keep getting high, bro, just go get high. Just go get high. Here, you want 20 bucks? That's what they used to do back in the day when they knew a guy wasn't going to make it. They just say, here's 20 bucks, go get high. But now there's betting off, so they can't do it anymore. <laughs> even though, even though it's, it would be kind of hilarious in a twisted, dark way. It's but just because fentanyl is cheap enough to actually... It'll just, everybody just overdoses and dies now. Mm. It's really unsafe. That's another thing. It's like, you know, drugs aren't drugs anymore. You know, um, they're, they're, they're mostly fentanyl. You know, it's, it's really can't get, get real drugs at this point. Um, so anybody who's doing drugs is clearly like out of their mind and like whatever level of responsibility you want to weigh on them. It's like, you know, when you're using puddle water out of like a fucking pothole to like inject yourself with Chinese fentanyl that you bought off some dude on the street, how much, you know, how much responsibility can you be expected to take? Um, but yeah, you know, the higher power thing, right? For me and my higher power journey is like when I, when I started off, like it was like the people around me who cared and loved me. Cause I had a lot of people who stepped up for me. I was very lucky that I had people still, I, I was, I, I didn't screw over nearly as many people as most addicts would. Um, I had a lot of people who backed me up. So I had that to fall back on. I also met new people that were good. I looked for, for, for healthy people that could be of assistance because I didn't know how to be a healthy person. I didn't understand what that meant. Um, when I'm in the trenches, though, uh, the religious higher power starts looking pretty, pretty approachable. Um, and there's like the old saying, like, there's no atheists in the trenches or in the foxholes. And I asked a Vietnam, like a Vietnam combat veteran, like a guy who had been through some fucking shit, way more shit than my whiny ass has ever seen. Right. And he said that's actually not true. He said that, you know, when you see burnt up napalm, burnt up babies, you don't you kind of like, you go, God clearly is like either an asshole or does not give a shit about us. Um, but I don't see napalm burnt up babies in my day-to-day -day life. So, you know, when I'm stressed out about work or relationships or whatever, uh, it doesn't hurt me to sit down and pray. Peterson said, you know, that prayer can be used at very least as a tool to help you better understand your problems. And it certainly can be along with meditation. So, I mean, I don't know. And then there's sometimes where like weird shit happens and like, you know, you could rationalize it. Like there's a logical rationalization, but you go, ugh, it's pretty unlikely though. And you go kind of like, okay, maybe there's a little something going on. And then I go back to this. I don't know. Why, why does my opinion matter? No, I don't know what the fuck's going on. I barely even know how to be a functional adult. I spent years doing drugs and alcohol and like just being insane. So it's like, you know, what do I know? Right. But like, I guess at the end of the day, you know, the world is complex and 
if it if it helps me or anybody else to to have a relationship with a religious higher power then like i'm honestly jealous actually how great would it be because you just said you're an atheist right but like and i'm and i have i struggle with the logical side of it i'm having trouble connecting how like a religious higher power could function within our very like grounded like quantum mechanical you know general relativistic world right so it's hard for me to like allow that just to happen so yeah some guy some entities just kind of making decisions and like influencing things but like how fucking nice must it be to be able to just go through life going like yeah it doesn't matter because my guy upstairs dude he's got me no matter what happens i am fucking good I've seen that work for some people and I've seen that lead other people down some, some dark paths. Um, this is an interesting aside. So one, your, your response, like, like, why the fuck does my opinion matter? I don't know is actually the answer. If you read a lot of Taoist texts from, uh, particularly, uh, Zhongzi, I'm sure I'm pronouncing it terribly or Zhongzi. Um, most of the like great, uh, figures they show are like, is there some guy out in the middle of the field, like uh, pretending he's like a horse, like slapping his own ass, like he's yeah. got like, a whip. And one of the great sages comes up to him and he asks him some like deep question. And the guy's like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's like the, supposed to be the right yeah. answer. Yeah. The, the thing is like to make sure I, I do give the, because there, there's a right answer to your question, right? Yeah. Which is that like, look, if you want to quit drugs, Go find somebody who's quit drugs. Who like with some time, with a couple years clean, right? At least. If you're really lucky, go find somebody with 20, 30 years, right? Because we said this shit doesn't go away. Like we say, like, uh the monkey might be off my back, but the circus hasn't left town, right? So it's like go find somebody. If you don't want to have a religious higher power, go find a guy who's hasn't done drugs for at least a couple years and say, okay. I want to, I want to stop doing drugs and then listen to him the way you would listen to God if God was real. That's yeah. the most insightful shit I've ever said in my life right there. If you're not a religious person, go find someone who hasn't done drugs, who was a drug addict and then hasn't done drugs for a few years and then listen to him as if God himself were real. Not like the made up, like if God was actually real and he came down from heaven right in front of you, you would do everything he said, right? He'd be like, hey, I'm God, motherfucker. And you're going to do what I say. And you'd be like, yeah, yeah, you know, clearly. You're not going to be jerking out like, you know, you're not going to be messing around at that point. Do the same thing with your sponsor or whoever you find. And and God, you would be so successful. Like, you could not fail. So, like, that's the answer. The answer is that a higher power is just anything better than your drunk ass. Yeah, it, it acknowledges that we are uh, we're apes that function in a hierarchy. And actually, we function better. Like, we want something to be yeah, above us. Find a mentor, man. And um, it reminds me of the word to admire. Which, if you pay attention, it has the word mirror in it. Yeah. Like, you're meant to yeah. be like, right? That's what he said. If you saw God on Earth, you do what he yeah. said, right? Because you would admire. Yeah. And when you should be terrified, you should be. Well, you'd want to be like something that terrifies you. Yeah. Well, there right? you go. Right? Because to, well, <laughs> exactly. Well, yes. Because the thing that terrifies you is way more powerful than you are. Yeah. It's, it can do more. Uh, for you listeners, I, I like to differentiate differentiate between power and force so when i use the word power i mean able to act your will out in the world yeah that's simple right because that works every time you want to use the word power yeah. you can use that definition um and you know even uh there's a there's a samurai sunotomo wrote uh, the hogakure and in that he said like well look 
um, you weasel men. He didn't call them weasel men, but he was complaining about <laughs> small that, men. Well, he was complaining all the men back in his day were pussies because they couldn't yeah. cut people's heads off small without men. hesitating. Yeah. Right. And he was saying you need to, um, if you can't find a singular, even if you can't find a singular heroic figure, he says you should do that. Someone who you could be like. Yeah. If you can't do that, find a bunch of people who have individual qualities that if you were to, you know, collect them all together would be that ideal for you. And then strive to be like each of those people in that way that you admire them in, the, sure. in that way that they're better than you. Um, and let's say if we want to talk about religion, cause I like to differentiate between uh, what I call like the smart and dumb versions of religion. So I'm going to sure. offend a bunch of religious viewers, I'm sure. Uh, but I do not hold his beliefs. No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please, please disavow it as need be. Um, but I think when we look at these concepts, right? So like, what is God? God is that which is most high. What is most high? It must be that which is, right? That's Thomas Aquinas. So yeah. God is that which is. That fits right in with um, most other religions. If you start picking them all the way down, I know uh, Hinduism and Taoism in particular. Um, so in, in Taoism, like the way is the way in accord with um the the thing that cannot be named they, they call it right so and that thing is the way things really are outside of our perceptions which is why you can't name it because if you name it you're naming a shadow on the wall sure. you're talking about plato's cave yeah um and so worry. yeah and and so what we're what we're doing here by looking for an individual who is a higher power is looking for someone who is more in accord with an objective reality, which is why they're actually able to enact their will in the world. Yeah. Because their their will is oriented along with how the world is and how they are as beings that are extant in the world rather than having some stupid delusion. Yeah. Or uh what I would they're call razor sharp. Yeah. And if I want to get uh I don't know like Alex Jones level, they don't have uh, let's say satanic arrogance leading them into self-deception that leads them into a type of uh, death cult and denial of existence. Yeah. Right. And I, we won't go all into, into that, but you're like, you're like, Oh, we don't have much time. Anyway, <laughs> death cult into the denial of existence. We're going to go Alex Jones. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we are now preparing for thermonuclear war. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, but you know what? Going to that point, right? The path, right? The uh, walking the path is like, and it, it, this is like where 12 step programs, there's a lot of hate for them. I always say if they work for you, they work. I, I actually, what I really do say is that like the program works for everybody. It's you that doesn't work. Um, and that's the truth. Uh, the program offers, you know, all the program is is a group of literature. And it literally doesn't tell you to believe anything. It's not telling you that you have to do anything. People are like, this is a cult. It's like, nobody's asking me for money. And all they want you to do is stop smoking crack. Like, what are you talking about? You know, like, but it offers these spiritual principles. It offers like all the 12 steps are is teaching you what are called spiritual principles, which can also be labeled as ethical principles, right? So like starting off with honesty, right? Because most people are lying to themselves about who they really are right? That's the first thing they teach in the program. They say, hey, man, you got to learn honesty, learn how to be honesty, learn how to be honest. My sponsor told me, he said, uh, you don't know anything about honesty. So we're going to start you with willingness. <laughs> you know, the honesty, open mind, and a willingness are the first three they teach. But you don't know nothing about honesty. So we're starting you with willingness. I thought, though, that I did know something about honesty. And that's the nature of self-deception, right? So it's like, it teaches you the path. 
Because you go through, if you go through life thinking that everybody's out to hurt you and that you're, everything you think about yourself is all twisted up and entangled with all sorts of crazy shit that has happened to you or people have done to you or you've done to people. You don't know who you are or what you are. You have to untangle all that and then rebuild it into something. Well, if we untangle it all, we don't have something to rebuild it into. It's not very useful, right? We're going to probably end up tangling ourselves back up, but it offers you the path. Here's the way to be. Here's how to do things, you know, you're getting into like your 10th step where it's like how to make uh, how to make a daily assessment on whether or not you've hurt people and then quickly correcting it. When you get into your eighth to ninth step where it's like I need to make a list of everybody I ever harmed and I need to go back and make amends to them. Right. Um, and then like moving into the 11th, 12th step of like learning how to live your life regularly through these spiritual principles and then helping others with it. Um, and that's like. That's the beauty of the program is that it's like, hey, we're going to untwist you and then we're going to twist you back up in the right way. And it's a, you know, you decide it's your pace, whatever, right? Yeah. Well, here's the killer question and we'll, we'll end it with this. How do we get these, um, let's say, sugar addicts coming to the coffee shop to, <laughs> to get into a 12, 12 step program? <laughs> do you think it's possible? Can we convince them? Um, so. I, I don't know if you're joking or not, but I'm going to assume you're not, right? And I'm just going to say that, first of all, you know, people got to hit a bottom. <laughs> you know, you got to reach a point. People don't generally look for help until they realize they have a problem. And people don't usually realize they have a problem until it has negative consequences on their life. So, you know, maybe we need to give them more sugar. And that's a strong argument I make. I'm not even joking at this point. This People are going to think it's Acceleration a joke. I'm not joking at all. Look. When it comes to certain things, I wish you could do this with drugs, but it's the, you know, you, you kind of can't, but maybe you can. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how this looks, but the reality is that like, you don't help people by enabling them. Okay. I'm sorry that that makes me, that might make me sound like mean or cruel and I'm not intending to sound that way. Right. And I'm not being mean or cruel because they, I really do understand, like as somebody who is an expert in this, right. I do understand that like the final goal is to free people. Right. The final goal is to give people freedom. Um, this involves mostly them doing the work. I can't do it for them. <clears throat> I've tried. It failed every time. Yeah. But the reality is maybe we give them more sugar. We give them enough sugar that they get diabetes. And then, you know, maybe then they go, wow, you know, maybe I should stop. Or maybe they pick up cigarettes at that point in time. You know, the problem is there's this fine line between the bottom and being dead. So like you have to hit your bottom without dying. And that's <clears throat> if there was ever anything up to God, that's that's up to God. Right. So well, could we bring in a particular way, bring the bottom up to them? Like bring. No. Them well, the problem is everybody's bottom is different. So we don't know where their bottom is. And the other problem is kind of like the, the, the depths of hell. Right. Like there's infinite bottoms. So we might what might be a bottom for me might be the start for you. You might. There's a saying. Right. And this is true which is uh, there's nothing sadder than an addict with a high pain tolerance mm. because there are chances of hitting that bottom and, and having that. It's a, it's an, it's a, it's a come to Jesus moment. You know, it's like, Oh fuck, this isn't working. And it's faint because it's quick to go, well, this isn't working. You go, well, that mountain's too fucking high to climb. I'm just going to keep going down it. Yeah. So here's my thought. And you can, you can tell me what you think. So uh, the image came to mind in the uh, Bhagavad Gita, 
I haven't read through, but there's a particular it's a scene. long book. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't read, I read uh, the first three pages. Do you know what I'm pretty sure Bhagavad Gita means as it is, which fits our little Thomas Aquinas. I know it's about earlier. a war. Yeah, well, there's at one point a guy has to go to war with his brother, um, and uh, Krishna shows up, and the guy doesn't want to go to war with his brother, but it's his duty as king to defend his sovereign right, because yeah. his, he's the rightful king and his brother's a tyrant. And uh, what Krishna does is shows him the true face of God, and it, like terrifies him into like a you know a puddle of tears and like he can't function yeah he can't function um and like krishna basically through that exposing him to that and then telling him like this is the fundamental nature of reality and you cannot prevent you know all of these men from being devoured by death and disease and misfortune like these tear and your brother even these things are an inevitability of life and it is better if you at the very least fucking do your duty instead of being a fucking like pussy little bitch yeah <laughs> um and and have some honor about it than to deny what is inevitable and the terror the terror of the truth for Krishna being honest with him and showing him the real face of God, he right? He gave him a lethal dose of sugar. Well, he gave him a lethal dose of the truth. Yeah. Right? Because <laughs> he didn't, you know, put him through all of the terrible things, but he basically made him aware in a way that he could not deny that uh, he was, you know, himself rationalizing, well, I don't want to kill my brother. That's my family, right? And, you know, that sounds legitimate, but the reality is like too bad. It's your actually your duty, and it's morally wrong of you to shy away from it at this moment where um, you either stand or fall. And I was thinking with the sugar or any uh, addiction, really, or any bad habit, if more people and more and more and more people just kept telling the truth instead of lying, like that moment I had where inhibitions happened to be lowered today, and the two were joking, oh, we all have it. And I said, no, I don't, I don't eat any sugar. It's just you. And then if, if that kept happening, how many times is that going to happen in your life where every time you try to seek camaraderie, every time you try to downplay the reality, every time you try to sneak yourself a small deception, that someone turns around and just hangs you with the truth and you know puts a mirror in front of your face until the point where you can't look away because there's nowhere left to turn? Yeah, I mean, theoretically that works, right? So in a in the theoretical framework, we could say that's the best way to deal with these things, right? But also in that theoretical framework, there'd be no self-deception because everybody would just be able to fully actualize and aware of the world around them, right? Here's the problem, right? And it's like, it's a problem I still struggle with and I, I've heard different, different theories on it. Um, is it better to give a sick person the truth or is it better to give them less of the truth right like if i gave you the full truth you would run and hide in terror and fear and wish for quick death right like if i showed you the real secrets of the universe you would you would flee <laughs> to yeah. wherever you could and like end your life i tell people uh lovecraft i don't know if you're familiar with lovecraft, yeah. but i say lovecraft was right the truth of the universe it's is too much it drives you insane yeah it's an uncaring ancient demon that is going to you know, drive, yeah, he's yeah. Driving insane. it will drive you mad and that's it. So like you'll, you'll escape into madness, right? Because you don't have anywhere else to go. Right. But like on the other side of that, it's like, okay, well we need to have some level of the truth or else like the world will descend into chaos. Um, and there will be great, greater suffering. Right. So like 
when you're applying this logic, like we can look at this generally and say, well, obviously the truth is the way to go, right? We should all try to be as honest as possible, as frequently as possible, as best we can, right? And that's probably a good way to try to live. Um, but the problem then becomes, you know, here's an example, right? And this is maybe this is a, maybe there isn't an actual answer of how to deal with this, right? You get a guy comes in off the street, right? He's been on the street for 12 years smoking crack, right? He's been sucking dick to get $5 nickel bags of crack. This is a, this is real. This happens every single day, right? He comes in off the street and he says, I need help. And you go, okay, we can help you. And then he says something like, I believe there'd be a lot of different ways this could go. He could say, well, I think I just have a crack problem. I'm going to keep, you know, doing heroin, right? Or drinking beer. Because you hear that a lot. They're like, I just have a fucking cocaine problem, not a beer problem. And you're like, eh, it sounds like you just got an addiction problem. And they're like, no. Uh, another what problem is like the Subutex issue, which is, you know, a medication that uh, like uh, covers up your opioid blockers, right? But basically it gets you high as a fucking kite. And they give it to people who are addicted to heroin and pain medication, right? But it's basically, in my opinion, and pretty much a lot of other people's opinions, it's 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 an enabler, right? It's just giving you another drug to do, but the government gets paid for this. So mm -hmm. there's some questionable things happening there. But you get a person who goes to their doctor with heroin addiction. The doctor says, I'm going to put you on this Subutex. It's not drugs. And then they come to a 12-step meeting and they say... Uh, I want to get clean. I want to change my life. I'm clean one day. I'm on Subutex now. And you got to go up to this person and say, hey, man, the only real way for you to achieve self-actualization is to actually stop using mood or mind-altering substance. And Subutex is a mood or mind-altering substance. And then the guy looks at you and goes, fuck you. Fuck 12-step programs. I'm going back to heroin. <laughs> you know? So you go, did you do him a service? Or when you go up and you say, hey, actually, the reason that you do heroin is because you fucking hate yourself. That's actually why you're doing it. And then they go, you know, and they get pissed at you. And it's like, okay, so is it better to slowly unveil the truth to a person who's deep inside their own deception in, in an effort to try to protect them from themselves, right? Or if I just pull out my unsheathed my my sword of truth and cut them down, you know, <laughs> you know? Like, as opposed to what was said to me once was like, we need to teach them to use the sword so that they can, they can, like, they can fight alongside us. We can't use our sword to cut people down. We have to cut up the, the, the snakes around them to slowly teach them how to use it themselves. Yeah. I mean, Nietzsche makes that argument in his first book, uh, Birth of Tragedy, that we actually need, uh, he called it the, um, Apolline, like from Apollo, who holds up the sun. The sun yeah. is, uh, actually, the great lie that lets us live in the in the chaos, the giant black ocean that is reality. Yeah. Um, and yeah, my my will just to have everyone say the truth is it uh, feels good. It's yeah, yes, it, it feels it, good. Nietzsche also it's my delight in cruelty. Oh, uh, so nice. Yeah, right? it's, it's, I call uh, it so much better than you, and I get to just kind of fucking sm just mash your face with my superiority sort of it's it, it's, it's, it's a desire to actualize it one. looks so nice to do to people well that's why you're gonna go beat the shit out of people because it feels it, i don't like that too it makes you feel superior well it, it it's an actualization of a real will to power like when you cause somebody else suffering like that's in this is terrible by the way but it's, it's not true. though but it, it's it is uh it's real yeah that's it's just not talked about because it's not 
yeah pc right yeah it, the, the truth is i think what you said is learn to do that in a way that's actually productive but and not it's, in a it's way that's hard to learn to do it's a whole process it's hard enough to just get in a position where you can smash people but then to become proficient enough and like i guess it's like like i am insecure right so that's why it feels good but we're all insecure like all, nobody anybody who's telling you they're not at some level insecure is lying that's they're probably very insecure yeah. right so it's like i'm insecure so that's why that feels good to feel superior but the more secure i become the more confident in myself i become the less i get pleasure out of doing something like that to somebody right and so it's like to say to like it still goes back to like we have to become stronger this is part of becoming stronger is just smacking the shit out of the weaker and like then your coach looks at you and gives you like Baker gives me that look sometimes when we're in jujitsu, you know, when I'm just beating the shit out of somebody and I look over and he's kind of looking at me and I go, oh fuck. <laughs> I gotta like it lets the guy like climb on top of me and like I'm like, ah oh no, <laughs> you know. And uh, you know, and it and it's just part of part of life, you know, is like I guess learning part of the responsibility of being strong is learning how to how to not 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 hurt unnecessarily right yeah and that's a process in and of itself yeah well i think it's a pretty good place to end on we've gone for a while thank you so much for joining me josh um you have been a very wise guest uh for those of you still listening if you like this content you can check out more at my website wildislelit.com uh, i've got more podcasts a blog um if you're a writer out there and you're looking for an editor i have edit editing services as well and you can check out my book if you're into fantasy fiction one smoke broken again on my website wildislelit.com all right thank you guys see you later later on guys